I do begin with a question though. How long are you willing to wait for someone to fulfill their word before you assume they're not planning to? It's a good question to think about when we listen to the story of Abraham. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou... You join me for a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we give lip service to our utter dependence upon you, but there are times in our life when our fragility, our weakness, our inconstancy, or like the season of Lent reminds us, our distance from all that your will is for our lives, remind us of that dependency. Strengthen us, Lord, and bless us here in this time and place as we come to your holy word by the power of the Spirit by which we are reborn. Make these words come to life for us. Strengthen us in faith toward you and in love toward the world which you love. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm going to preach from here today, even though, especially at this service, it feels like I'm like, way. But uh, I'm going to preach here because I'm doing a little tap dance through the Bible, and I didn't get all of these things memorized where they are, and I don't want to miss any. So, uh, I do begin with a question, though. How long are you willing to wait for someone to fulfill their word before you assume they're not planning to? It's a good question to think about when we listen to the story of Abraham, or Abram as he is in Genesis 12, um, because he hasn't gotten his name changed yet. God calls Abram to uproot and move his whole family to a new land. And he doesn't do this when Abram is a spring chicken with great uh, potential ahead of him. He does it when Abram is 75 years old. Give up everything you know, Uproot, move to a new land, I'll tell you when we get there. In Genesis 15, 6, we see um, the promise of new things being elaborated upon, and this is the passage in Genesis that Paul's referencing in our second reading today. Um, The promise that Abraham will have an heir, and that his offspring will be more numerous than the stars. That was the graphic you saw when you were coming into worship today. The promise that we hear today in Genesis, that all the world will be blessed through Abraham, is of course fulfilled first in the people of Israel. We can't forget that as Christians. The people of Israel were meant to be a light to the nations. That is, all the surrounding nations in the ancient Near East. 
They were meant to show that the character of God is righteous, not capricious. That God desires holiness and goodness, but that he is also merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, as the Psalms say. It was the responsibility and the privilege of the people of Israel to show that to the nations. So that was a way that the nations were blessed through the promise made to Abram. There's also the promise that Abram's offspring will be more numerous than the stars. And of course, as a nation of people, they help fulfill that promise as the covenant people of God in the world. Now, that happens like 400 years later, after the time down in Egypt and the people come out of in the Exodus story and all that stuff, when all that happens. In Abram's own lifetime, it takes about 16 years from the time God makes the promise we heard in Genesis 12 today until God finally lets Abraham settle in a new land. And in the meantime, he has some very interesting adventures. So that makes him 91 by my count when he finally gets to settle in the land that God has promised him. It takes 25 years until he has a son through his wife, Sarah. The child of the promise made is Isaac. That makes Abraham 100 years old and ladies, that makes Sarah 90-91. We're a little unclear on her age, but I'm thinking of what my wife went to through when um, my children were born 15 and 13 years ago. And um, I always say, my, my wife had, the, had, had our children without the benefit of pain-killing drugs, and I say it's because she's twice the man I am. Uh, I think, I think of, of going through that at 91, and I can't even imagine it. Uh, but here comes the fulfillment of promise in this child of the promise, Isaac. And of course, through Isaac will come later the, the, the nation of Israel. But still, God's promise is not completely fulfilled. First fulfilled in Isaac, then in the people of God, Israel. It's still not done being fulfilled because the people of God will be summed up in one great hope, in one final person, the person of Jesus of Nazareth. In Christ will all of God's promises come together. And St. Paul picks this up in the book of Galatians. In Galatians 3.16, St. Paul writes this, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as to many, meaning that the covenant people of Israel can't really be the complete fulfillment of this promise, but rather, but rather he says, as of one, and to your seed, singular, who is Christ. See, all the promises made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15, and as the story goes on, all of this is only fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. All the world is blessed through him because it is only through him that we can see the Father and come to the Father and be saved. And of course, the promise that Abraham's children will be more numerous than the stars ends in the person of Jesus Christ going way beyond merely those who are genetically related to Abraham out to all nations so that those who have faith in Christ as Savior and Lord 
Those who trust him are his true spiritual heirs. They are the real heirs of Abraham, the heirs of the promise given to him. Now, St. Paul also, throughout his writings, notes the key role that trust plays in a relationship with God through Jesus. You see, just as Abram was reckoned as righteous because he trusted the Lord, and the book of Genesis is clear about that, that's what St. Paul is lifting up for us, so we must trust the Lord to be reckoned as righteous in God's sight. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when Jesus was uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount to us? And in Matthew 5.20, Jesus says this, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Well, the only way for our righteousness to exceed anything that can be done by human effort is to trust in Him whose righteousness is way beyond that of any human effort. Jesus Himself to borrow from that righteousness, so to speak, through faith, trust in His work. Now that kind of trust, that kind of faith, is always the keystone of a good relationship with God. And as I said to the confirmation students a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this, and you know this is true because trust is the basis of any good relationship. When I was playing soccer in high school, or in the marching band, I had to trust those whose efforts were, were they were giving their best effort, all, all of my teammates in those, those contexts, because we had a competitive marching band that got, got marked. Um, you had to trust they were putting in their best effort. And they had to trust that I was putting in mine, or else we couldn't engage in this joint endeavor together. We couldn't have that relationship. I trusted people I didn't even like in the marching band to be doing their work so that we could all accomplish what we set out to do. It gets progressive in our lives. When you, if you ever get on a bus, you're trusting the driver of that bus with your life. And you're hoping that they are a trustworthy person. When I go to see my family doctor, I trust that he has knowledge that will help me in the stewardship of my physical life. Help me retain my wellness longer, maybe even increase my, my longevity. Though ultimately that rests in God's hands. So I have to trust him. When he gives me a prescription, he's got to trust me to take it. And the more intimate our relationships get, the deeper the trust needs to go. My spouse holds a lot more than my physical life in her hands. My spouse, not only does, is my life wrapped up with her, our property is wrapped up together, our stewardship as a, as a family raising our children together is wrapped up together, and really a lot of my sense of identity is wrapped up in her now, in a way it never was with any girlfriend in the past. When I introduce myself to people or when I meet someone I haven't seen in 30 years, I say, oh yes, I'm married. I am married. It's part of who I am. And this reaches its ultimate peak or ultimate depth in our relationship with God because God 
holds not only this life, but the next life in his hands. And he holds all of these relationships in which we're involved in his hands as well. We have to trust him with everything because everything ultimately relies on him. And it's in the full knowledge of that reality that Nicodemus, as a teacher of Israel, comes to Jesus by night to talk to him. See, and it's significant that he comes by night because we're told he's one of the leaders, and so the leaders are generally opposed to Jesus. So first of all, he doesn't want to be seen by the rest of the leaders as, as seeking out Jesus. And second of all, it helps Jesus know that when he pays him a compliment, he's not just doing it for effect, like those do out in the marketplace who are just trying to look good. He believes this sincerely, what he's saying. And he does that. He comes to Jesus and he says, we know that you must be a teacher of God to do the things that you do. And, well, what, where he was hoping that conversation would go, we will never know. Because Jesus breaks in. When I was a kid, if the president was speaking, he was on every station. And there was always a little thing coming up saying, you know, boop, we interrupt your show to bring you a message from the President of the United States. Jesus apparently had his own agenda for a conversation with Nicodemus because in response to this compliment, Jesus says this, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Christians have always considered baptism to be significant, huge, hugely important in our lives. I mean, there's so many biblical pictures wrapped up with what baptism signifies. The cleansing of sins, initiation into the covenant community. There's a decisive turning point in someone's life, a, a, a new spiritual direction, union with Jesus himself. The start of a relationship with God in which we are made truly a new creation. All of these things kind of swirl around what baptism means. And so it's significant. We have to think about what it means. The, Christ the disputes that Christians have entered into have been important ones because they affect our understanding of what it means to be truly obedient to Jesus. And we want to strive to be obedient. We cannot flatter ourselves that we really trust in Christ unless we're trying to obey Him as Lord. Now the word sin, the word we translate as sin, hamartia, is actually uh, an archery word. It means to miss the mark. But there is a wide difference between uh, someone who takes careful aim and misses the bullseye and someone who does not even put the arrow up to the string. So we as Christians need to be engaged in these conversations. We need to be engaged with the Word of God and trying to be obedient to it. But what we ought not to do is let our very different understandings of what it means to be born again or born from above, which is the other way you can translate that phrase from the Greek, what we cannot do is let that obscure the most important thing of all, which is plain in the text today, which is that only God, only God, can give to us the necessary spiritual rebirth. And Jesus 
makes this clear, right? The next thing he says is, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, just as we had no part in our own conception and birth, so we have no part in our spiritual rebirth. It is the Spirit who does all of the work of birthing us. You see, every other relationship in our lives proceeds on the basis of trust. But in every other, health, every other relationship in our lives, a healthy relationship is based on us having a similar or same level of trust between both parties. I trust you, you trust me to the same degree and for the same reasons. It can't be like that with God. Because here's the reality. I'm more reliant on God than He is on me. <laughs> I may feel at times that God has let me down, Every day, objectively, I let God down. And God enters into this relationship, gives me new spiritual birth, knowing that full well that I'm going to disappoint Him again and again and that I'm not reliable. So He has to be the trustworthy one in this relationship. It's the Spirit that does the work of birthing us. It's the Spirit that brings to fruition that which we cannot accomplish for ourselves. And this He does at the behest of the Father who so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him might not perish but have eternal life. This He does at the behest of the Father who makes a promise to an itinerant goat herder who is the son of an idol maker. That we can know that the power lies with Him and not with our ability to keep our promises. It took God 25 years to fulfill the promise He made to Abraham in the birth of Isaac. It took Him 400 years to bring the people of Israel out of captivity and establish them as a nation. It's about 2,080 years, roughly, from the promise made to Abraham to the birth of of Jesus Christ and that ultimate fulfillment of the promise. So, as we continue our Lenten journey, the question I feel the Spirit is asking all of us is, do you trust, do I trust that we have indeed been born again by water and the Spirit? Do you see in yourself, because you are in Christ, a new creation? Yes, immature and lots of room for growth, but something wholly different than you would be apart from Jesus. When I look at myself, I get discouraged. In a season like this where I've taken on some more intentional spiritual commitments, I can see my failings that much clearer. And we all have failings. We all have things we struggle with. We struggle with pride. We struggle with despondency. We struggle with lust. We struggle with greed. Worst of all, we struggle with apathy. And when we have those struggles... 
we look at ourselves, we're going to remain discouraged, our own lack of progress. But if we look at the promises made by God, we can be encouraged. We need to look and ask ourselves, how long will we wait for God to fulfill His promises before we start believing He has no intention of fulfilling them? Because here's the truth, I get in God's way a lot of the time when He wants to do something through me and in me. Can we look at ourselves and trust that though the work of growing and maturing in Christ is even more hard and painful than growing up in this world, which is plenty hard and painful enough? Can, I, can we believe that we have been born again for an amazing destiny? What St. Paul calls in 2 Corinthians 4.17, an eternal weight of glory. A destiny wherein we will be transformed from one degree of glory into another, finally. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. Can we set ourselves to setting aside everything that's not Him and let Him do the work He rebirthed us spiritually to do in our lives? Commit ourselves to setting aside and putting down the things that aren't of Him so He can do in us what He wishes to and trust, finally, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is the call of Lent. It's the call of Christ in the Holy Spirit upon our lives. Will you join me for a word of prayer now? Lord God, it's so easy to get discouraged when we see ourselves doing some of the same things we were doing 5, 10, 30 years ago. Things we know aren't good for us or good for the people around us. Things that we know aren't in your will for our lives. But we need to remember how often we do them Ignoring you, not attending to your spirit, not leaning into your strength. So Lord, we ask that you help us to trust in your promises. To trust what you have claimed us for and rebirthed us from above, rebirthed us again for. Help us to set aside all that which is not of you in this Lenten season. And let all that is of you flourish and flower in our lives. Let the Spirit do His work in us, Lord. That we may finally and truly begin to become what you have reclaimed us to be as your children. And this we pray in the name of Him whom you gave because you so loved the world. Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. My vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light.